Hey friends, I'm Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm the host of the new podcast, Commotion. If you don't know about us yet, well, we are your daily deep dive into the biggest stories coming out of the world of pop culture, art, and entertainment. And luckily, I'm not going to be doing it alone, okay? I'll be joined by some brilliant culture writers and thoughtful super fans. We're going to have hilarious hot takes. We're going to have vibrant debates. Consider this your invitation to join the group chat. Get in here and join us. Commotion, available weekdays on CBC Listen. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Ideas. I'm Nala Ayed. As soon as I saw somebody else talking about these empty spaces that once were, it was like lightning in a bottle. In a dark corner of the internet, something is growing. A community of people dedicated to sharing a very specific type of photograph. Could be an empty mall, or a mall that's slowly going out of business, or a office space that is completely devoid of people. Photographs of empty hallways, abandoned atriums, forgotten arcades, and fog-draped freeways. The images fall into a genre of photography called liminal spaces. A liminal space gives you this specific feeling. A lot of people describe this eerie feeling. They describe being unsettled, uncomfortable. Unease, eeriness, an indescribable sense that something is just off. Oftentimes, spaces people used to go in their youth, like playgrounds. But because of the way in which the picture was taken seems distorted, perverted in some kind of way. For the past two years, interest in what's known as liminality has been growing online. On social media, people share their photos of strange, empty places, search for the most liminal hallways possible, and debate the deepest meanings of liminality. It is a space in which The uncanny, the unusual, the supernatural can take place. So it's the feeling you get when you're in a space between the no longer and the not yet. It calls the eyes to look long, that searching, yearning quality. Those images anticipate not only something about now, but where we're going to be for the foreseeable future. In this episode, producer Matthew Lazen-Ryder traces the origins of liminality and how thinking about the liminal can help us understand the world we're in today. Hi, Matthew. Hello, Nala. Can you tell me more about what these pictures actually look like? Well, a liminal space is a place that connects one destination to another. So the most basic type of image is an empty hallway. It could be a hallway in a school at night or an office building or a hotel. Let me send you an example. Okay, this is perhaps the most popular liminal space photo at the moment. It's become known as simply the back rooms. Can you describe that? Well, it very much looks like the back rooms. It has this eerie kind of yellow tinge to it. It looks like a non-space. There's just a bunch of fluorescent lights sort of above and walls that don't really seem to connect to anything. 
Yeah, you can really feel the buzz of those fluorescent lights, can't you? So there is a story to the back rooms. It was just posted by an anonymous user to a website one day, and it took on a bit of a life of its own. As you say, it's very yellow. There's yellow carpet, yellow patterned wallpaper. There's a dingy looking power outlet on one of the walls. And it's not clear where the entrance or exit to this hallway is. There are odd corners going this way or that. So that's your basic bread-and-butter liminal space photograph. An empty, odd, or unusual hallway. Now, there are a few wrinkles to a good liminal space photo. The more popular or well-received images are of things that are dated in some way. So transition spaces like a hallway or atrium or stairway with decor or other objects that seem out of style, old but not antique. So maybe the carpet has a noticeable 1990s pattern on it, a, a pinkish wave on a teal background. Uh, here's another picture. This is more of an atrium than a hallway. What do you see there? Well, it's really hard to describe because there's a sign that says Toys R Us, but then there's kind of like this boarded up part of the picture where it says Books a Million. And then this really wide frontal part of the picture that's just hallway, just empty, dark, bizarre hallway. I love this picture. It's clearly from a mall that's dying, right? The brown tile of the atrium floor is just like a lot of little malls that were built in small towns in the 70s. The lighting is a bit dark, like the mall is closed for the night and you got stuck inside. And that Toys R Us sign is kind of faded, like it was put up in 1998 and has never been fixed or replaced. And the lights are on, but it really doesn't look like anyone's been in there for a long, long time. So there's two elements. It's an empty transition space, like a hallway or atrium, or it could be outside, like a, a pathway or an empty back alley. And it has a vague sense of nostalgia, usually from the late 80s or early 1990s. You should feel like you've been there a thousand times, but you never actually have. And then, Nala, there's one more wrinkle. It should make you feel unsettled or uncomfortable in some way. Here's another picture. It really is uncomfortable. Once again, there seems to be a lot of fluorescent lights overhead. This looks like it's in a hospital. And it looks like there's a gurney or, or a hospital bed. A couple of lights are on. There's no one in it, which makes me vaguely uncomfortable. And then there's a, 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 you know, one of those things that hang medicines on them that are supposed to drip into you, but it's got nothing hanging on it. A, an IV drip. Yeah. Thank you. And what I like about this is you don't really know where the hallway ends. It just fades off into darkness. And the only indication that there's more hall back there is somewhere off in the distance, a piece of medical machinery is powered on and there are just two floating red lights like eyes deep in the gloom. Very strange. Mm. So eeriness. Maybe it's a space that's usually crowded and is strangely empty. Maybe it's a place where kids are supposed to be playing, but now it's dark and moldy. And sometimes it's more surreal than that. If it's a hallway, maybe there's a shadow in a corner where it doesn't seem like a shadow should be. Who is it that's sharing these pictures exactly? It's photographers, YouTube video makers, writers. Sometimes people write uh, little fictional stories to go along with the pictures. It's digital artists, but mostly it's what I'd call liminal space enthusiasts. And this is happening places like YouTube and Twitter, but the real hub is Reddit. 
The section of Reddit dedicated to liminal space images is still pretty new, but already has roughly 400,000 members. And while there are lots of photographers out shooting their own material, a lot of it is found images, things found elsewhere online or in the real world and scanned and uploaded. One photographer who posts to the liminal space Reddit is Liam Kimmins. He's a film student and photographer. He lives in Newmarket, Ontario, where he takes trips out at night hunting for a perfect liminal moment. What was so exciting for me when I discovered liminal spaces was that I'd been taking these kinds of pictures since like 2015, 2016, and I would explore all of these different places that I would see in my everyday life. But my focus was not on trying to capture people when when their guard was down. I was more interested in architecture. I was more interested in these spaces without people in them. I'd go behind buildings at like random times at night. Um, I remember there was this one time where I was behind a pharmacy and I was taking pictures because there was this great light that was shining on this door and I was taking this picture and and this uh the owner of the shop opened the door and they started yelling at me, demanding to see my pictures. And of course I obliged. And uh, they, they started to calm down when they realized what kinds of pictures I took. And the reality was, is that they thought that I was some sort of robber of some kind. They thought I was trying to stake the place out. I found that this was almost like a therapeutic way of approaching internal thought because it's such a solitary way of taking pictures. I found that this was a great way for me to kind of have these mental realizations. Because I was in these places that were, you know, usually inhabited, but they didn't really have uh, anybody there anymore. Uh, The sounds of my footsteps were the only things that really sounded organic beyond like a raccoon that might scurry by in the background. Or uh, oftentimes I had to like, you know, run away from a skunk that I may have encountered. When it came to like the hissing of the lampposts, a lot of uh, new markets lighting fixtures are set on motion based timers. So if I were to walk by them, they would like shoot on and they would turn from the fluorescent white into a warmer tone. And then just like that, they were out again without any movement, allowing it to be dark for a bit until the light came back on. The idea of taking a camera and taking images of a space that's supposed to be populated but no longer has, you're almost acting as if you're like a one-person surveillance camera. Pretending as if you have become a fixture in the space you are surrounding. People often talk about how liminality is a transitional point from one place to another. Though Newmarket is my home and the place I grew up, I knew it was never going to be the place I was going to end up living for the rest of my life. I knew I wasn't going to like come back to Newmarket. So I guess in a way I was taking pictures of this town that I knew one day I would never come back to. Or come back to only in passing. On this Friday night, closed, cancelled, and confined. Liminal spaces exploded because of COVID-19. Community spread has begun in Canada. So what does that mean for your daily life? 
Early in 2020, when COVID-19 case numbers started climbing, so did online interest in liminal spaces. Good evening, I'm Adrian Arsenault. We've all been hearing that important message, stay home. You can actually see it online. You can actually pinpoint the moment in which liminal spaces became popular. We may be apart, but we're not alone. It definitely feels like we're part of something bigger here. How isolation is showing Canadians we're all in this together. If you go to Google Trends and you type in liminal space, you can see that there is a huge uptick in interest of liminal spaces when most countries went into lockdown. With everyone staying inside, it was easier to take photos of empty liminal spaces, but that doesn't necessarily explain why people all of a sudden wanted to see liminal spaces. Google data shows searches for the word liminal, liminality, and most of all, liminal spaces started climbing the exact week of March 20th. The week Canada and many other countries went into lockdown. Since then, it's only gone up. There are now hundreds of thousands of members of the Liminal Space Reddit communities. Nearly 800,000 followers get regular doses of Liminal Space photographs from the Twitter account Liminal Space Bot, and Liminal Space compilation videos on YouTube have racked up millions and millions of views. The, the way I was introduced to Liminal Spaces was in March of 2020 and COVID-19 had just started. The lockdown had begun and everyone was kind of uncertain. And uh, my roommates, uh, they like to watch YouTube videos altogether. And I remember one of them had invited me to come and watch this YouTube video called Liminal Spaces. Hold on, let me find the, the name here. Liminal Spaces Exploring an Altered Reality. And I remember watching this video and going, oh my God, I've been taking these pictures my whole life. And I now have a name that I can put on it. Those compilation videos on YouTube show different liminal images. Some are photographs, some are edited to make them stranger or eerier, some of them are pure digital artwork. Usually the background music is something called chill wave, a musical microgenre using 80s synths to create a kind of uneasy nostalgia. So Matthew, what exactly is the connection between COVID-19 and eerie hallways? Yeah, so that is an interesting question. And for that, I think we need to get into the meaning of the word liminal. Hi, my name is Sabina Maliocco, and I'm a professor of anthropology and the chair of the program in the study of religion at University of British Columbia, Vancouver. Liminality is a state of being betwixt and between. It helps us to understand, if we know the origin of the word, in the Latin word limen, which means threshold. So a threshold is between one area and another, for example, between the outdoors and the inside of a house. It's neither completely outside, nor is it completely inside the house. It is in a threshold place. 
So liminality is that state of being in a threshold place, either physically or metaphorically, where an individual or a group of people are between one thing and another. The word was popularized in academia by a mid-20th century British anthropologist named Victor Turner. He studied the cultures and rituals of the Ndembu people of Central Africa. In 1964, he published a paper titled Betwixt and Between, The Liminal Period in Rites of Passage. Rites of passage are found in all societies, but tend to reach their maximal expression in societies where change is bound up with biological and meteorological rhythms. Turner used liminal to refer to the part of a ceremony marking a child becoming an adult. There's a moment in the ceremony when they've been declared no longer a child, but the moment declaring them an adult has yet to take place. They're in the liminal stage. They have physical but not social reality. The subjects are neither living nor dead from one aspect, and both living and dead from another. They have no status, property, insignia, secular clothing, rank or kinship position. Their condition is one of ambiguity and paradox. That liminal stage is also a stage in which transformations happen, in which magical kinds of things occur. I myself have seen Ndembu masks that combine features of both sexes, have both animal and human attributes, and unite human characteristics with those of nature. Monsters startle the young into thinking about objects, persons, and relationships. The rituals that Turner was looking at were lengthy affairs. They were not just um, hocus-pocus, shally champagne, rise up dead man and fight again, and boom, the ritual is over. These were days-long affairs in which the initiates undergoing the ritual were separated from everyday life, were dressed and decorated in in ways that marked them as different, uh, underwent testing. Liminality here breaks, as it were, the cake of custom and enfranchises speculation. Ritual is carved out, if you think of time. Ritual is carved out of the ordinary world. Uh, It creates a state in which certain everyday rules of behavior might be suspended. Liminality is the realm of primitive freedom to juggle with the factors of existence. Then at the end of ritual, this liminal stage ends and everybody goes back to sort of the normal everyday ways of interacting, normal everyday ways of behaving. Liminality is the moment where, for the people in it, All the previous social expectations and rules are gone, and the new ones haven't yet kicked in. In that unstable place, you're free to discover who you really are. You can think about liminality as it appears in a more North American ritual. Think about the ritual of Halloween. Think about how, on Halloween, young kids, not terribly young, but by the time you're seven, eight years old, you are probably going out into the neighborhood 
by yourself or usually with a group of your friends. Maybe there's an adult uh, watching over you, but maybe they're like out on the sidewalk and they're not really interacting with neighbors at the door. And there's this sense of immense possibility, this sense of magic. At least I remember Halloween night that way in that it was dark and we were wearing costumes and we were, were running all over the neighborhood demanding candy from adults whom we couldn't interact with in that way normally. The norms of everyday behavior were reversed. We were not quite who we were regularly because we were disguised. We were dressed up in costumes and so we were something else. And the whole experience had this liminal quality to it, this magical transformative quality to it, which only lasted for the space of the night. There's that freedom from your normal, everyday self that occurs when you put on a mask and go out in the dark with your friends, not supervised. Um, You are, in a sense, no longer you. You are no longer held by the bonds of being such and such a kid in such and such a family in such and such a birth order, you know, all of the things that that give you your identity within your family. You're free to be something else, a witch, a ghost, a lion, a bottle of seven up, um, you know, whatever. And, and there's just tremendous freedom and excitement in that, even if at the end of the evening, you aren't really transformed into that temporary identity. According to Victor Turner, the liminal moment in ritual allows participants to experiment with identity. It also brings people together. The word Victor Turner used was communitas, a sense that because the normal rules of time and order and society are gone, we're all in this together. That is that communitas. So let's go back to the Halloween example. When you are wearing a costume and you're out there trick-or-treating with your friends and there's tons of kids all over your neighborhood, there were in the neighborhood that I grew up in. Um, It was just filled with kids. You don't even know who some of these kids are, right? You don't know whether they come from down by the river and therefore maybe they are kids from underprivileged backgrounds or whether they come from way up on the hill where some of those great big houses that are almost like mansions are. You don't know, right? Because their identities are obscured and there's a feeling of we're all in this together. Another way you can think about the communitas of liminality is during a disaster. Yes. So scholars of disaster have noted that one of the things that disasters tend to do is to bring people together very much the way that ritual does. Because for a particular period of time, everybody is thrown into the same horrible situation, whether it's a fire or an earthquake or a flood. Um, Neighbors have to depend upon each other for survival. And there is a a feeling, as, as unfortunate as it is, that everybody is in it together and that if we that we have to help each other out of this. Moments of urgency require us to put aside our differences, have each other's backs. We're all in this together. Thank you for doing what you can. We're all in this together. 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 For a little while, this will be our new normal. And that's okay, because we're in it together. 
And that's that feeling of communitas where the king and the pauper are temporarily on the same level. They're both participating in this transformative liminal moment. This pandemic that we're living through right now feels very liminal. It feels betwixt and between. The ritual creates a kind of special time of its own called time out of time. It's as though ordinary time is suspended. Think about that week between Christmas and New Year's. There's a, a sense of time being suspended. And oftentimes during that week, you're, you're not really sure, is it Wednesday? Is it Thursday? What, when is New Year's? What is going on? That's that time out of time feeling. You know, the first initial period uh, when everything was on lockdown, where many people were working from home, where you weren't really allowed to go anyplace except the pharmacy and the supermarket, where, uh, you know, literally you couldn't leave your house, created a, that weird, timeless feeling that is associated with liminal time, with time out of time. Now, the thing that makes the pandemic a little bit different from these other disasters is that most of these disasters are quite temporary in nature. So the earthquake ends usually within seconds, sometimes minutes, but usually seconds. And there might be devastation afterwards. But the minute that the earthquake is over, the process of rebuilding begins. And it's the same thing with a flood or a fire. As terrible as these things are, the, the end is evident. And then people can come together in the community and begin to heal and rebuild. Not everyone has responded in this way. And the length of time, right, where this goes on, it isn't a few days or a few weeks or even a few months. We're now entering the third year of this. You're listening to a documentary called In a Liminal Space from producer Matthew Lazen Ryder on CBC Radio 1 in Canada, across North America on Sirius XM, in Australia on ABC Radio National and around the world at cbc.ca slash ideas. You can also hear ideas on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Nala Ayed. When faced with the complex moral questions the world tends to throw our way, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. My name is Waleed Ali. And I'm Scott Stevens. We're the hosts of The Minefield, an ABC Australia podcast. And each week we try to navigate the moral complexities of modern life in a way that's unexpected, unpredictable, intellectually serious, but more than a little fun. Along the way, we're joined by a range of philosophers and thinkers who promise to help you see the world and the challenges we face in a different light. You can listen to The Minefield wherever you get your podcasts. The word liminal only recently escaped from the walls of academia. 
At the end of anthropologist Victor Turner's landmark 1964 paper, Betwixt and Between, he called for more research into the liminal phase of rituals. And other researchers happily obliged. There are countless published papers delving into liminal topics. Those papers have titles like Football Support and Liminal Identities Among Norwegian Fans. From a supporter's perspective, the football space may be seen as a different reality, as a liminal ritual. It allows Norwegian fans to escape the authorized mythologies of Norwegianness. And here's another title of an academic paper, this one called Welcome to the Bubble, Experiences of Liminality Among Summer Camp Counselors. The liminality of camp space and time contributed to the possibility of experiencing communitas. One camper reinforced that the isolation intensified the camp experience, saying Canada could be invaded and we would have no idea. And another called The Beach as Liminal Space. Do scuba divers become immersed in a placeless place beneath the waves? Do bathers and surfers experience a temporary suspension of time as they confront the raw energy unleashed by breaking waves? What started as a way to describe our ritual quickly became a whole new way to analyze the world. Liminal spaces exploded because of COVID-19. The recent online interest in liminal space images started just as the pandemic hit North America. And to the people who post, take, and share them, these liminal images mean something more than otherworldly or eerie. They reflect an uneasy change in the world, one that goes beyond the beginning and eventual end of the pandemic. This documentary is called In a Liminal Space from Matthew Lazen Ryder. Liminality is the space between thresholds. You can think of the entire pandemic as a liminal space, even though from time to time it looks like we're getting close to the end. Like, for a long time, all of these spaces that you'd frequent on a daily basis were just like ghost towns. The trend of liminal space images shared online started just as the pandemic hit North America, when people were told to stay home, streets were empty, and storefronts closed. That's when Liam Kimmons really got into being a liminal space photographer. And what's interesting with liminal spaces is that it's as if these regular spaces in time have suddenly become a ghost town. I think that everyone always has that interest in visiting a space that used to be bustling with people. But then when you're faced with a space that you visit every day that's no longer bustling with people, that immediate shock kicks in. And I think that it makes some people's hair on the back of their neck stick up in a weird way. Long after the quietest part of the pandemic, liminal space communities are still going strong, still creating, taking, and sharing pictures of abandonment and emptiness. Something resonates about liminal spaces beyond our experience with lockdown. 
Culturally, liminality has lived in our psyches for a long time. So I'm trained as a folklorist, and a folklorist is someone who examines, studies, and analyzes traditional expressive culture. And our stories, the oral narratives that we tell, are, are part of folklore. Liminality plays a very important part in the stories that we tell, and we find it in all kinds of stories. We find it, uh, first of all, in legends. Legends are stories set in the real world about a supernatural or extraordinary event that changes that world in some way and makes us question the nature of reality. So one of the things that we find in supernatural legends specifically is that the supernatural event often happens in a liminal place. So when you think about ghost stories, when you think about spooky stories, the ghost doesn't appear in the middle of a crowded mall on a weekday uh, lunch break when everybody in the world is uh, there getting lunch. The ghost haunts liminal places. We find ghosts in liminal areas, marginal areas, roads that run along uh, maybe the edge of town. Roads and roadsides can themselves be liminal areas because they take us from one point to another. And so there's a whole category of roadside ghosts that haunts roadsides and often appear to people asking, for example, for a ride. They appear to motorists asking for a ride. Sabina Magliocco at the University of British Columbia says liminal spaces aren't just eerie because they're empty, but because psychologically they're spaces of supernatural possibility. The middle of nowhere is as liminal as you can get, and so that's where we find the ghost. So The Vanishing Hitchhiker is one of the classic migratory legends in the migratory in that we find it all over the world. And typically in this story, a driver is driving on a deserted stretch of road and sees a hitchhiker. I'm going to tell a North American version now, a beautiful girl in a prom dress on the side of the road. Nobody else is in sight. So, of course, the driver pulls over. He figures, you know, something has gone wrong. He pulls over and motions the young woman towards the car. And she tells him that, that something has gone wrong, that she's had a fight with her boyfriend after the prom, and uh, she just needs to get home. And the guy says, well, of course, I'll drive you home. She says, I, I live not far from here. So she gets into the guy's car and gives him directions. And they go off the main road to an even smaller road where there's a little house up on a hill. He gets out of the car, and because he's a gentleman, he goes around to her side and opens the door to let her out. And he sees that she's not there. And he's puzzled, but just to make sure that she's gotten home, he goes to the door of the house and he knocks on the door. An old woman answers. And he says, excuse me, I, I hate to bother you. He said, but I just dropped off a girl, your daughter, maybe. Uh, she's a girl in a prom dress, and I just want to make sure that she got home safely. Well, the woman looks at him in horror, and she says, well, my daughter died 25 years ago in a horrible accident. The guy can't believe it. He says, that, that's not 
That's not possible. She was in my car. She was in my car tonight. And the woman shows him a photograph of the girl, and and he says, that's her. The woman says she died in a horrible accident, and she's buried in this cemetery right down the road. And she takes him a little distance from the house and shows him her daughter's headstone. And draped around the headstone is the guy's jacket, which he had given to the girl because she was cold. All right. So that's a kind of a classic story of the vanishing hitchhiker. But there are many, many different versions. So in some of the versions, for example, the hitchhiker is actually Jesus, who rides in the driver's car and gives some sort of prophecy about the future. Uh, in Latter-day Saints versions, it's one of the three Nephites, one of the Latter-day Saints, saints who are alive today, who also makes promise, uh, prophecies about the future. Um, they're, they're literally, uh, in, 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 I've also seen uh, uh, versions in which uh, it's an old woman by the side of the road, and the driver helps her carry her groceries up to her apartment only to discover that the apartment is empty and no one has lived there in a long time. One of the roles of the liminal space is it is a space in which the uncanny, the unusual, the supernatural can take place. It's a container, if you wish, for the unexpected. Just as in rituals, liminality is a container for those transformations. In legends, liminality is a, a container for another kind of transformation, for, for a transformation that allows us to question the nature of our everyday reality. In movies, introductions, transformations, encounters, and climaxes take place in liminal spaces, transitional areas where the normal rules of time and space don't apply. What is this, Lonka? Some kind of funhouse? Why, having fun? Think of the weird hallways that let you into Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Come on, Violet, we're getting out of here. Oh, you can't get out backwards. Gotta go forwards to go back. The waiting room in Twin Peaks, where time stands still and people speak backward and forward at the same time. This is the waiting room. Would you wash some coffee? Come and play with us, Danny. Or the long and haunted corridors of The Shining. Forever and ever and ever. You know, you have this very, very overused but still extant notion that the biggest fear that we have is the fear of the unknown. Aidan Tate is a PhD student in American literature at Dalhousie in Halifax. And I think that liminal spaces work with that threat very well because they are rendering the familiar unfamiliar or the canny as uncanny. There are lots of ways to analyze literature and culture and movies and music. One of those ways is through a liminal framework. You can look at a movie and analyze that dark corridor through the theories of anthropologists like Victor Turner. Familiar spaces like corridors suddenly become 
unfamiliar in certain contexts or when they are removed from their regular utilitarian context, such as a corridor in The Shining, where a corridor for Danny is no longer a space in which he can just mosey about and go along in his little tricycle uh, when he encounters the twins. Suddenly, it is a very different space. The context does not match up with what he's used to in that point. And in doing so, that defamiliarization suddenly becomes this immense, saturated experience of the unknown. Particularly with horror movies, which are built on suspense, which are meant to build and build and build that tension until finally it just snaps and it breaks, and the door at the end of the hallway or the corridor opens to reveal something, or perhaps nothing. You are constantly in the state of waiting, of anticipation, where things can go either way, but you are in a period where you can't go back, but you don't know what will be in the future. All you can do is wait until something happens or until you make that move. So I think it's this notion of waiting, of precipices, of anticipation at the very edge. You're on the brink of something. Just like you can analyze a movie from a liminal perspective, you can analyze a time period. We are absolutely in a liminal space during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I think nothing has been quite as liminal as the past couple of years. So the pandemic is just like a hallway in a haunted house. We were on our little tricycles and then we encountered a ghost. And now everything's different for a while. As Aiden Tate says, In a liminal phase, you cannot go back, but you can remember. In many of those liminal space images online, there is a longing for times in the past, particularly the 1990s. There are pictures of abandoned mall atriums with neon pink and teal lights. There are rose-colored tiles and a fake palm tree by the entrance to the JCPenney. There's a rundown and empty old Chuck E. Cheese arcade with a canyon of old stand-up video games like Robocop, Paperboy, Bubble Bobble, and Street Fighter II. There's the abandoned tables of a pizza restaurant and playroom with pastel balloons forever suspended over paper plates and a multicolored ball pit, half empty and oddly shadowed. Yeah, that's particularly, um, I'm glad that you brought up spaces specifically tailored towards children, particularly in the 90s. I mean, A lot of liminal photography is drawn towards a collective sense of nostalgia, and nostalgia in particular for the 80s and 90s, I would say 90s more so, because the 90s were a time of relative prosperity and peace. We were at a moment where the internet was becoming this widely accessible, publicly accessible database and tool for learning and for exploration and creation. New media was popping up. Um, Politically, things were still relatively fraught given that we were coming out of the Cold War era and the collapse of the Soviet Union. And so the 90s were very much a space of transition too, because we were at the turn of the century, the 2000s, this brand new century. And so with this transitionary space, there's excitement, but there's also concern. Because 
the Y2K glitch or uh, the year 2000s era and how much fear that incited, this transition or this unknown that was just at the end of the corridor in 1999 and we didn't know what was behind the door, what would happen when the clocks ticked to 2000. You know, a lot of popular liminal spaces feature these beacons to capitalism, you know, like a like a mall, an arcade or a movie theater. And when you view it from the context of your own nostalgia, you look at it more so from your own personal uh, connection to those spaces. And it almost makes you go like, it's okay. It's fine that I was able to, you know, go to these places and enjoy them in these times. But now that, you know, we're, we're reaching this point where like supply chains are starting to slow down, you know, uh, economic recession seems imminent. People are scared every day. And this, this kind of nihilistic feeling that everyone brings to everything is so prevalent. I think that there is a kind of innocence that comes with liminal spaces that comforts a lot of people. Nostalgia is complicated. It returns and repeats itself in different moments over time. There was a tremendous wave of nostalgia and talk about nostalgia in the 1990s, actually. Stuart Points is a communications professor and studies media culture and social change at Simon Fraser University in BC. Nostalgia returns to us at the, these moments of transition. In one sense, nostalgia is a hoped-for return to a place that has been lost, a sense of comfort and stability that has been lost. And so we're reaching back to hold on to in the midst of a transition that's around us. Uh, there's also a tremendous romanticism that's associated with nostalgia, which means it allows us to clear away the, the things that don't make sense. It allows us to brush aside the, the things that aren't quite right about the past to create an idyllic sense of the past, right? And in the midst of our own time, where uh, a strong sentiment of crisis is around us. And that's obviously from the pandemic, but it's not only from the pandemic. I think that it's very difficult to see the, the, the presence of nostalgia and the quality of the liminal images and liminal spaces that are being um, photographed without thinking of the larger order of crisis that is part of our time and that is really felt in a way that I don't think has been true, certainly in the West and in the industri uh, highly industrialized world, for decades. Um, the, the way in which um, those liminal images, which mark thresholds, which mark transition points, which mark emptiness, and, and maybe even, I might say, hope, I don't think can be understood without seeing them in relationship to a set of crises which are posing an end to the period that we're in and that we're not sure what it is that is beginning. I think many people, you, you might say right now, are, are imagining the 2020s in ways that might have been thought ludicrous even 10 years ago. That includes the environmental crises, crises of governance and crises of democracy, which you see really playing out in a number of different ways in different societies where it pushes forward and explodes onto the scene. And this is where I think those images anticipate not only something about now, but where we're going to be for the foreseeable future.
The whitewashed, idyllic version of the 1990s is a time when it seemed like the world would just keep getting safer and more prosperous. If you were in a somewhat comfortable position in North America in 1993, it seemed like things would only get better. We'd crossed a threshold out of the darkest parts of the 20th century. The Berlin Wall was down, and the Twin Towers were still up. Yeah, no... There, there, there was this total promise for a lot of people growing up, you know, that like, oh, the American dream, you know, like you work hard enough and you'll get whatever you want, right? A lot of this kind of social reckoning that people have been having over the past two years is that that was never true. That never existed. That only existed for a select few people, you know? There is also a level of discomfort that comes from the possibility of losing what that initial dream was. There's this way in which those elements of the 90s are glossed over in this particular time as we try to reconcile ourselves to crisis. I mean, it's an, it, it's an interesting lesson in how much any particular historical moment can take on. How much crises can one take on? One place that, for many people, became a liminal space during the pandemic is their homes. Homes were betwixt and between. Not quite a house, not quite an office. And sometimes a place we spent way too much time. Suddenly our relationship to our homes has changed. And how, at least in my experience, I've found certain domestic spaces when caught in just the right light, like... If I've been staying up for too long again, it's 3 a.m., I'm trying to get readings done for my class that I'm teaching the next day. And suddenly I go into the kitchen without the lights on. And this very familiar space that I could chart in my sleep has become unfamiliar because I've been in it for so long that in this new context, it's completely unfamiliar. It's lacking the attributes I had previously associated with it, which is comfort, familiarity, nostalgia. It's a space of transition that until I turn on the lights again and try to reestablish its previous atmosphere that I'm used to, is a space of unknown, even though it's in my own house, if that makes sense. Whether it's a street or alleyway, or atrium, or house, there's been a lot of emptiness during the pandemic. Sabina Magliocco from the University of British Columbia sees one more thing in those photographs of abandoned places. They resonate because not only are we in a passageway between the start of something and the end of something, between the world that was and the world that will be, but that life itself is a constant transition. And the abandoned and eerie places of the world resonate because they remind us of our own destiny. One of the tropes that we see is the trope of abandonment, the trope of something being desolate, of being empty, something that once was filled with life and is now empty. 
that's one of those liminal tropes. That's one of those horror tropes, right? The haunted house is a house, a home that was once the center for a family, for, uh, you know, it was a place that offered shelter and protection and comfort and familiarity and all of those things that we associate with the idea of home, but which is now abandoned and empty and is therefore disquieting, uncomfortable, creepy, and vaguely threatening. And so I think the abandoned mall and arcades are similar to that, in that these were places where people congregated, where there was a lot of action, a lot of activity. And maybe for some of the people who were posting, that was associated with their youth, that was associated with their teen years, um, with a, a time when they themselves were making a transition from childhood to adulthood. And now those places where they came of age, where they hung out with their friends, where they had so much fun, those places are now empty. They're deserted. They're abandoned. They're a kind of ghost town. And that, I think, stimulates the same emotions as the haunted house trope, the place that was once a center of life that is now empty and desolate and eerie. I mean, it is, in a sense, a nod to our own mortality, in that we too are now alive and, you know, having this conversation and I'm drinking my tea and, you know, we're participating in life. But at one point, we will not be here anymore. The body that houses us, that holds our soul, our consciousness, will be simply an abandoned, empty husk. Those online liminal space pictures that have grown in popularity over the last two years don't offer much comfort. They invite people to dwell in uncertainty, to come to terms with the unknown, to reflect on the transience of life. Like the pandemic, those eerie hallways are unpleasant places to be. In Victor Turner's theory of rituals, the liminal phase is where people can experiment, sometimes radically, with who they are and what they want to be. Early in the pandemic, some people became bakers. Some people tried to learn a new language. Lots of people quit their jobs. The term in the United States is the Great Resignation. And some people became convoy-joining protesters. The liminal phase does come to an end eventually. Time starts up again, reality returns, participants in the ritual settle into new roles with new freedoms and new responsibilities. Order returns in some form. What that will be and who we will be may be unclear. But there is, in theory, a door at the end. You were listening to Ideas and to an episode called In a Liminal Space from producer Matthew Lazenrider. 
If you'd like to comment on anything you've heard on this episode and to see more images of liminal spaces, go to our website, cbc.ca slash ideas. You can also find us on Twitter and on Facebook. Lisa Ayuso is the web producer for Ideas. Technical production, Danielle Duval. Senior producer, Nikola Lukšić. Greg Kelly is the executive producer of Ideas. And I'm Nala Ayed. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.